Hey there, and welcome to the Unlikely Artist Podcast, where I'll teach you how to gain the freedom you need to become who you want, instead of who you've been telling yourself you need to be. I'm Heather Kerr. I went from international tax to art and coaching because those are the things I've been yearning to do. Listen in to find out how you can start doing what you love to in slow, easy steps each week. Let's dive in now. Welcome back, everybody. So today I'm going to be introducing you to my friend and peer coach, Sarah Hurl. I always find it so interesting when I interview either people I know or clients who I know really well and find out about how their diverse experiences in life have come together, how they've pointed them to the life they've ended up creating. Sarah, in her case, married the deep learning she had from living life and from her experience working as a fundraiser for nonprofit organizations to the experiences she had with difficult health issues and eventually becoming interested in that and training as a health coach and how she's ultimately taken these really diverse things together to do what is really calling to her right now, which is to help people think about sales in a healthy way. To me, when I first heard she was doing this, I was like, what? Like it, those words didn't even go together to me, healthy and sales. And I know a lot of you are not entrepreneurs. A lot of you are, but a lot of you are not. And that's okay because all of us are selling ourselves in a way. We're selling ideas that we want. We're selling things that we want to do. We're in negotiation with our partners, with our families, with our bosses, and with people that might be our clients or people who buy our products or people that pay us our salaries. And in all of that, I think we get really messed up in our thinking about sales and we forget to see it as a human interaction. We forget to see ourselves as someone who's just having a conversation as a full human being. So I'd love you to join me in this conversation. I think you're going to learn a lot about how to talk to people, essentially about your needs and about their needs to have human conversations. And I think you're also going to find Sarah's journey interesting. It's another example of people looking at their unique skills, their unique experiences, their special interests, the obstacles that they've gone through and overcome, and marrying that all together to do something that feels meaningful and enjoyable and what they want to offer in the world right now. Sarah and I talk about all of those things, and I think your mind is going to be tilted in how you think about a lot of these topics. Among other things, we talk about financial scarcity and fundraising and the benefit we experience giving money away, how to not think about taking money away from other people, but thinking about how we both benefit from our interchange. It's about looking for different things as our careers mature and we want to experience different things. We want to learn in different ways. It's talking about the marriage between our health and how we're able to function in our lives. It's about resting without scolding ourselves, resting without an agenda so that creativity can flow through us as we make our choices. And then it's about having real conversations, human interactions, 
and asking for what we need in a self-affirming way. At the end of this episode, we're going to talk about how to get in touch with Sarah, how to find her, and I'll list her contact information in the show notes. And so now, have a coffee, roll up a chair, and just be prepared to enjoy this conversation that I have with Sarah Hurl. So welcome back, Savvy Souls. I've got a real treat for you today. All of us here on this podcast, we're interested in people's journeys and, you know, the choices and decisions they've made, what they've learned along the way, the wisdom they've gathered, and most importantly for us, what we can learn from sharing those journeys and hearing their experiences and how it felt and what they learned. So today I have with me here a good friend and fellow coach, and she's part of a same group with the person, Angela Hahn, who I interviewed here before and who interviewed me on this podcast. We're part of this uh, group of coaches who keep meeting and exploring things in a deep way. And Sarah, of course, is really brilliant and has a lot of magic to share with her clients. So Sarah, I was just wondering if you could briefly introduce yourself to all the Savvy Souls listening in and tell us what you do now. And we're going to get into a lot more detail about how you got there and more specifically what you do, but just to give us a flavor of who you are. Well, uh, this is lovely. Thank you, uh, Heather. That's a great introduction. I, uh, I'm i a healthy sales coach at this point in time um, in my coaching journey, and I primarily work with entrepreneurs to help them create uh, systems within their business that allow them to uh, be healthy and vibrant in their life um, and have a business that uh, serves their clients and also them. And that's so cool. And we're going to definitely come back and talk about that because this whole idea of combining the con- even the concept of healthy and sales almost seems like a contradiction to me. So um, I think it's magical. So we'll get back to that. But right now, what I want to do is I want to take you right back to your previous life when you were working in the NPO sector, that's the nonprofit organization sector, and a time when you were really enjoying it. Can you tell us about what that was like and what you most liked about it? Well, in some ways, I I just fell into nonprofit, um, you know, as often uh, we do when we, you know, graduate with an arts degree. Um, but it really appealed to me because I have always been really interested in social justice. So, you know, initially when I was working in nonprofit and I ended up uh, being a fundraiser, um, it it just really seemed to combine a couple of things that I was really passionate about. So it really allowed me to exercise my values in my day-to-day work. And, you know, I really felt lucky that I'd, I have this opportunity to like make a living and also do something that felt like it was creating good in my community. And um, so tell me, this is something I've always been curious about because I have to say, I would just be terrible at fundraising. Like that's just, maybe I'm wrong, but this is my intuition. Like, how do you go about becoming a fundraiser and what does it feel like? It's actually hilarious that you just said that, Heather, because that's actually one of the most common things I've ever had like people say to me, like both if I was at like a work party or if I was at like a party in my personal life, people would always say to me something along the lines of, oh, I could never do that. And, you know, it's, I guess it's not something that I ever really, um, I want to say I didn't think about it, but, you know, I, I started a job at, you know, a well-known nonprofit and, um, you know, I was young and I was hungry. I wanted, uh, I wanted more, I wanted more challenges. Um, you know, I wanted, I want to, I wanted a bigger paycheck and more responsibility and more autonomy. Um, and, you know, the way the jobs that were always available were the sales jobs. And, uh, 
I initially started in um, in an area called direct mail, which is essentially selling by mail. Um, and then I ended up doing what was more like the corporate um, sales where I worked with corporations um, and I talked to them about their charitable giving. And then I worked with people who worked there, you know, training them how to raise money. Um, and then eventually I started working with high net worth individuals. But I think for me, it just always seemed like um, an extension, I guess, not only of, of serving the community, which, you know, I mentioned earlier, but also um, when I would joke about it, I would say I'm in high end customer service. And to me, that's just what it was, was that I was essentially um, matching individuals with projects that I knew that they were looking for a way to give back to the community. And, um, you know, when you say, how do you become a fundraiser? I mean, you know, for me, I, I tried it out and it, it was a good fit. Yeah. So I, like, I think there's a lot of thought processes that go on in there. Like for me, when I say I'd be really terrible at it, um, it's, it's cause I, and you know, this from our private conversations, I have some trauma around asking for, for, for money in a lot of contexts. And I think the people that you meet at parties or whatever and say, Oh, I could never do that. It's this whole idea of asking people for money, but you kind of just phrased it in a really kind of cool way. It was, maybe you can remind me what you said. It was kind of like this concept of almost like partnering with people on projects. In other words, it's, it's, it's not just about you have to give me money and I'm going to make your bank account lower and my bank account higher. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, the first thing I'd say, Heather, is that I wasn't asking for money for me. Right. Yeah. That's the first differentiation to be clear. Right. Um, yeah. I'm asking for money for a community organization. It is very different when you have to ask money mm-hmm. um, that's for yourself. And we'll, we can get into that later. Um, yeah, but, we will, because uh, <laughs> what, what you do now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, that was the part that I really loved was that I always really saw my work. Um, as being relationship based. And, you know, I was really fortunate because the first nonprofit I worked for, there was just a really nice community of donors and volunteers. And, um, and it just allowed you to really sit down with someone who wanted to give who who wanted to release that money from their bank account. Um, And your job was just to find something that they were going to be excited about. And then then you got to like dream up ways to thank them for it where, you know, you um, think my favorite thing I ever did was, t- was take a donor to um, like a, a seniors gentle movement yoga class. And her and I went to the yoga class and did it with the seniors. And, you know, cause she had funded this project and afterwards a number of the participants came up and they, you know, talked about um, their lowered blood pressure and how their doctor had said they'd seen that they were like happier because they were being more social. And, you know, you got this immediate feedback where you saw the impact of those conversations. And so it just, it really just kind of fed into itself. Yeah. It's so funny. We get so messed up about money. Whereas really what we forget is money is just a symbol and it's representing a value exchange. So these people give money, which benefits the charity that they're supporting. And then they get to, you know, they get to feel really good and be excited about like, it's such a different concept these days to think about, like it actually feels really good to give money away. And I think so often in our financial scarcity, we forget about how amazing it can feel to like give money away. Absolutely. And I mean, they've done research on like the benefits of, of giving money away, um, you know, to your nervous system and to your health and also to that scarcity mindset that you talk about where, you know, when you start to see that, your money can enable something, right? Can like create something as opposed to just, you know, so much of what we've been taught about where it's more like, you know, I give you money and then you give me something back and like I get a benefit, you know? It's, it's you are getting a benefit when you give because you have that good feeling, as you said, but it's a different kind of benefit. And I realized when I used the expression scarcity mindset, I'm kind of getting into a little bit of, 
coach speak. So just for my listeners, by scarcity mindset, what I mean is kind of that feeling I think we tend to have in our society these days is uh, no matter how much money we earn, whether it's a minimum wage or whether it's a million dollars a year, there's a general feeling of I don't have enough and I'm going to be broke and I'm going to end up being a bag lady or a bag man on a quarter that's probably not, I don't know if that's politically correct to say, but uh, just thinking about like, that's people's most common fear when you dive into it, that I'm going to end up not having a house or home or place, uh, 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 your shelter. We we go into intense scarcity mindset um, and we forget to focus on the true creation of value and the amazing feeling of generosity. So that anyway, I just wanted to say what my interpretation was of financial scarcity. So I guess what I wonder now is there came a time where maybe you didn't um, love it so much or you began to struggle or feel stressed in the job. What, what, what happened from going kind of from the place that you described that was, um, you know, so, so kind of like connected with your mission to, um, you know, not feeling as happy with it. You know, I, I think that as we uh, mature as individuals and our career matures, um, you're looking for, you're often looking for something a bit different, you know, and I often sort of look at certain things that were so great for me when I first started my career, you know, like a, a manager who really supported me in a way that I needed it or, um, you know, a particular set of responsibilities in a job that made me feel, you know, really powerful and, and, and like I was hitting it out of the park. And then, you know, 10 years later, if you reflect back on that, you say, well, you know, that was, that was the right thing for me at that time. And as I um, matured in my career and my skill set, um, you know, I, I did I, I did change workplaces and, and, and explore sort of different parts of the sector. And I found that there was uh, just a greater focus on this like produce, produce, produce. And that wasn't that wasn't not true at, the, at, the, at uh, that first job that I talk about in such an mm-hmm. idyllic way. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of pressure to perform. And I, I started to find that my skill set was not perfectly matched. And the kind of relationship based work that I wanted to do, there just wasn't, there wasn't the same kind of support for that, because it take that takes up time and resources. And if you're not asking for money and closing the sale, if you're just saying thank you, there there seemed to be a diminished value of that part of the relationship at at the next number of nonprofits that I worked at. And it really- What do you think what do you think caused that change? Like that's a bit mystifying to me. Why did that approach change? Well, I don't think it I don't think it necessarily changed. I think the nonprofits that I worked at um had a different culture. Oh, I see. Okay. And we all know, you know, we all know that the environment and culture at a workplace literally can make or break whether yeah. it, it works for you or not. But, you know, the truth is that there ended up becoming this focus on just getting the money in the door. And to be fair, you know, I think when you talk about sales, that is what people think about, right? They just think about this, like this moment where like somebody says yes, and then like money changes hands. And for me, that was never, like, that was never the point of it, which maybe means that I wasn't, you know, maybe I wasn't perfectly cut out for it. For me, it was about this larger narrative that I talked about earlier, where there was a relationship being built, and there was benefit to everybody. Yeah. Uh, and that just wasn't celebrated uh, at, at, at subsequent jobs. And, and it really, it, start, it started to, to burn me out. Yeah. So tell me, eventually you encountered some heavy health issues. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. So I, well, thinking about the narrative of my health issues, you know, I I had some minor health issues as a child, which I think that 
I didn't, I didn't really know how to talk about them. Like, you know, I started getting headaches frequently when I was about eight or nine, you know, I've had, you know, things like heartburn and that kind of thing since I was a little kid. And those were things that I might've mentioned to my parents, but you know, those are such, um, uh, you know, symptoms that doctors wouldn't get super concerned about unless they had other symptoms affiliated with it. So I think from a young age, I kind of learned this idea that, you know, if there wasn't something really acute happening, then you shouldn't worry about it. And that was sort of the messaging that I received. And so over my 20s, you know, I continued to have, uh, you know, different health problems come up. And I think I, I think I just thought I could solve them all on my own. You know, if, um, you know, if I felt like maybe my mental health wasn't perfect, you know, I'd do a deep dive into the research on that. And I'd double down on my sleep and I'd try meditation and I'd get back to doing yoga. And, you know, I, I, I'd look for like the checklist that they would give you. Yeah. And how did that work for you? Well, I mean, the, I guess the the real advantage to that was that I started trying a lot of these things early on. A lot of people don't start worrying about their health until a little bit later. Um, But, you know, I tried a lot of different, uh, you know, eating different ways, um, different forms of movement and exercise. Um, You know, as I said, like sleep hygiene, those kind of things. I was already doing that from a pretty young age, um, which I think it's more in the, I think it's more in the dominant, you know, with the internet, you know, and social media, I think, you know, younger kids are hearing more about that now, but that wasn't the case as much um, for, for where I was at at that age. And so it meant I tried a lot of those things. So I already kind of knew what worked and what didn't work. Um, But I would also put aside a sidebar that a lot of it was also influenced by diet culture. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that that's something else that, we get mixed up in a lot where, you know, I see a lot of, see a lot of like get into the best shape of your life kind of things coming out where somebody will be like, I'm turning 40 this year and I want to get into the best shape of my life. But what that really means is I'm going to go to the gym six days a week and like eat Mm. the smallest number of calories possible. And, you know, that is not what I would say to someone now who told me they wanted to get into the best shape of their life. I would say, okay, we have some other practices we need to look at, like, how is your mental health? You know, how's your nervous system? How's your sleep? Um, You know, those kind of things. So that's where I started. It started with um, me experimenting with uh, essentially trying to do everything I could to alleviate the symptoms. So you had you had talked about having these symptoms when you were a child, but did they worsen at some point? Like, why were you, what were you trying to alleviate? Just the continuation of the symptoms you'd always had, or did they worsen like with the job stress or anything like that? Yeah. So I definitely started to, um, you know, my digestive system has always had, you know, lots of issues um, and those were worsening over time. Um, My mental health uh, was, you know, cyclic, which a lot of the time your mental health can be. Um, and I started to have other symptoms in terms of like, you know, chronic pain in my body. Um, you know, my sleep wasn't as good as it once was. Um, you know, I could kind of list a whole bunch of different things, you know, right. So that's what really encouraged you to start this search for an answer. Yes. And, and so did you find solutions at work? So what, what's the next step of your journey? (laughs) Well, you know, I, I continued to double down and, and what happened to me, I think happens to a lot of people where you sort of try, you start a new regime and then it kind of works for a little while and then it kind of stops working. And so you, you know, maybe you kind of quit doing that and then you look for the next big thing. So that, that led me to, again, a lot of this experimentation, which um, I, you know, on the one hand, obviously, I was sad that, you know, I hadn't found the magic bullet. But it also led me to try a lot of different kind of healing modalities, you know, it meant that I'd, I'd worked with a chiropractor before I'd worked with a physio before I'd done acupuncture before I'd worked with a naturopath before. um, And those were things those were healing modalities that I better understood, because I had tried them. Um, And, you know, if those aren't things you're familiar with, um, 
you know, it's, it's helpful once you've had some positive experiences. Uh, I did find at my very uh, last corporate job, which was, you know, five years ago or so, um, things really started to get bad at that point in time. And um, that job definitely challenged me in terms of uh, living my values, because I really felt like uh, a lot of things that happened at that workplace were were not in line with my value system. And the stress from that job uh, was very high. There was a not a very supportive environment. There was a lot of turnover um, with the leadership. And that just led to a lot of, um, like a lot of pressure to still perform, but kind of like no systems to allow you to perform. Mm -hmm. And that's when things really started to go haywire for me. Like I just, um, my body just, didn't want to perform anymore. I'd wake up in the morning and feel like I'd been like hit by a bus. Wow. Before. And, and having done nothing really that notable. And were you, um, you were still working? I was still working. Um, in fact, some days I think about, you know, at that point in time, you know, for a lot of that job, I was getting, I'm going to the gym at 6am, you know, three or four days a week. And I would drag myself a bit out of bed and drag myself to the gym because I thought that was the healthy thing to do. And, and so what, what eventually happened? Well, eventually I started to have a lot of um, more significant symptoms that were affecting my ability to perform. Um, so being really tired, I mean, obviously that does affect your ability to perform. Um, my digestive symptoms were really bad. So it made, you know, eating really difficult, which over time that, you know, becomes an issue too. But I started to experience more uh, what I now know is like nervous system dysregulation and a, and a, like an, an inability to regulate it. And I think there's a lot more talk about your nervous system now, but I don't think people always understand how that manifests. Yeah. So and so maybe we can just pause there for a minute and explain that. Cause I, I suspect there's listeners who don't know really what that means, nervous system deregulation and how that manifests. So just like just for a normal person, what, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that there's a bit of a, a missing link when we talk about our sort of health generally. So we'll say, you know, your body, and then we'll talk about, uh, you know, diet and exercise or like supplements or, you know, seeing your GP. Then maybe we'll talk about your mental health. And so we'll talk about like seeing a therapist or like getting into nature or, you know, setting boundaries, like but they, I feel like there's a real missing link. Your nervous system uh, connects your brain and your body, and it actually takes information from your body and uploads it to your brain. And it impacts the choices that you make. And I think that we don't talk a lot about how the nervous system has, has uh, I don't want to say it's evolved more slowly, that's not fair, but the way the nervous system communicates, I don't think we get a lot of information about that and how how to keep our nervous system healthy and how to read the signs when your nervous system is telling you that something isn't working for you right and, and how did how did you discover this about the nervous system like in this journey of being you know having this job a stressful job and then having all these health issues and trying to explore health solutions how did you discover this connection between the nervous system and, you know, the connection, the brain and the body and the choices you make? How did you discover that? Well, you know, really a lot of it was, uh, you know, just reading about some of the symptoms I was having. So I mentioned that I'd had a lot of digestive distress for a long time. That actually is often linked to nervous system dysregulation um, because, you know, that whole like gut feeling piece isn't just a a saying it actually our gut actually has a lot of information you know our large intestine actually makes 80 percent of the serotonin um which is you know a critical neurochemical for you to mm. you know be able to stabilize your mood and like um engage with people um in an effective way and uh so i definitely was having a lot of physical experiences like that a lot of the chronic body pain that also was a symptom of nervous system dy dysregulation, but so were other things. Like uh, I started to really find it difficult to even get work done. Like I would mm. go and I would be like paralyzed trying to like prioritize tasks. And I would also find that I would be um, 
somebody would say like in my, I couldn't regulate my emotions, but what that meant was that either I would kind of have no feeling about something or I would have too much feeling about something. Mm -hmm. And I could feel that my reactions to things were not, um, were not how I would have used to reacted to it or were not like commensurate with what I knew the right reaction was. And so when I started having those symptoms, that's when I started to do a deep dive in what was critical to regulate your nervous system. Right. And so ultimately that deep dive left you to quit your job. Is that right? Yeah. So I, um, I decided to leave um, nonprofit or at least take a break from mm-hmm. nonprofit for a while um, and, and give myself the space to figure out what, what would be healthy for me and, um, and figure out a way to be able to give back the way that I had always wanted to and make a living that fell in line with my values um, without, you know, driving my health into the ground. Yeah. So what was your next step? So my next step actually was uh, because I I was very unwell, I continued to do this deep dive into learning more about um, the nervous system was where I started learning all about um, polyvagal theory and, and your vagus nerve and, you know, how to work with that um, and how to how to create practices in your life that allow your nervous system to be um, to be able to do the do its job, which means that it, you know, sometimes you will be in a time where you have like higher stress and then all you want is for your nervous system to be able to come back down to balance. It doesn't like having a healthy nervous system doesn't mean that you're just like a Zen monk on a mountain all the time. <laughs> it means that you have flexibility. Um, and um, the, the other piece that I did a deep dive into was health coaching. And that was that I had this inkling that maybe that could be a next step for me. So I took a couple of certifications um, around health coaching. And I guess I thought it would be, I guess I didn't really know how much I would like the coaching part of it. And And that's that's really where the journey started. And did you like the coaching part of it? Well, I found I had a knack for it. And I found that what it, when, uh, you know, my second certification I did, which was, which was really around coaching very specifically, like it was very specifically about tuning into the person you were coaching. Um, I discovered that I had, I could use that same set of skills I had when I was fundraising to really tune into that person and understand what their needs were, understand what their motivations were and look for solutions that were going to work for them. And, you know, it made me so pleased to see that this piece around building relationships and tuning into other humans, uh, you know, was something that was transferable to so many other yeah. So what I'm hearing is that you took a certification which taught you certain skills, but then you married the deep learnings you'd had just from living life and holding down the careers you'd had and the skills you had developing relationships there to really help your clients as a health coach. Is that right? Absolutely. It, uh, it wasn't the exact same kind of thing, but it definitely was that same, um, skill set. That's really about seeing that other person as a full human being and trying to help them move towards their goal with a set of tools. And was that different than other health coaches? Well, I think that the so the coaching certification I took um, is very popular, um, and and I would I, it's a good certification. It was through um, Precision Nutrition, um, and but I found that mo- a lot of people in my uh, coaching groups were um, were uh, personal trainers. So a lot of these were individuals who had, you know, worked through movement and physical movement um, and were looking to like work in a gym. And then they were learning this to essentially complement that. And that wasn't the lens I had at all. The lens I had was this idea of, of deep health, of whole health. And I really wanted to get serious with clients about their mental health. I really wanted to get serious with clients about real blocks that were keeping them from um, 
you know, they always talk about this about like diet or exercise where you like fall off the wagon. And, you know, there's often like a lot of talk about, you know, people not being able to stick to something. It's a very individual idea that it's your individual responsibility. And I knew from my work in social justice and in community that the social determinants of health, so much of what determines our health actually happens at a community level. And so I wanted to take that idea and work with individuals on looking at what their blocks really looked like and whether the kind of habits they were really trying to execute that they you know, they decided were the most healthy way, if those were really going to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. So I just had a very different lens where it wasn't about weight loss. It wasn't about, you know, a bikini body. It wasn't even about like necessarily like building muscle or like, you know, those kind of things. It was about something that was more about their whole life as opposed to just um, their body. Yeah. It wasn't just about their physical presentation to the world, but it was exactly kind of like their whole experience of life. <laughs> exactly. And I, I didn't find that. I didn't find that a lot of people sort of in my coaching group were looking at it through that lens, which isn't to say they didn't appreciate it, but I did see from a very um, like early stage where I was like, yeah, I mean, there's a big market for just, Hey, like, can you give me some ripped ads or a, a nice, you know, ass like, or whatever here sure. of, your, of course your goal is. is right. And that's, that's fine. Is. Right. Like, but it's just not what filled you up. No, no. And, um, and sort of the deeper dive I did, the more I really wanted to get away from that because my, of course my own experiences had also been when I'd done, um, you know, very regimented programs where I had looked to lose weight and I had looked to gain muscle and I had looked to, create the, you know, a certain aesthetic, my experience was that it didn't really help my health. So, um, so what did help your health at the end? So what has helped my health at the end? So, you know, I'm, I'm still on my journey mm -hmm. as, as we all are. Um, and I have been, um, you know, I've been diagnosed with a couple of chronic conditions that, you know, I've definitely been managing for most of my life that, uh, definitely uh, contributed uh, to a lot of the the more significant health issues uh, that I was having while I was working at corporate. Um, and so those I now have a I have a better handle on being able to manage. So one of those, for instance, is ADHD. So I was diagnosed with ADHD. Um, and you know, that really helped me better understand about, uh, for instance, uh, like my the emotional dysregulation I was having in the workplace. It wasn't just me, you know, being unable to to deal with my workload or deal with the stress. It was because there are very specific things that if you have ADHD, you need in the workplace. And most workplaces uh, aren't designed to uh, support people who have ADHD. And uh, unless you advocate for those things on your own, they often aren't present. And because I didn't know I had it, couldn't advocate for them. Yeah, the, what I'm hearing is there's such a marriage between our health and how we're able to function both in our jobs and in our personal lives, right? And that you were in, because of your own life journey, you were really able to see those linkages and connections. So how did you go from being a health coach to who you are sitting here with me today, somebody who helps people with, you know, healthy sales, which is something that fascinates you. I'd like to, before we get into what that is, like hear your journey about how you came up with what I think is very creative and unique kind of marriage of, of things. Well, I really had to give myself a lot of time and that's something that I think we don't feel like we have. <laughs> I think that people are constantly told they have to be producing, they have to be moving, they have to be doing. And I needed to really lean into rest. And that rest wasn't just what we affiliate with rest. You know, when people talk about the rest, they mean, oh, you must be sleeping or you must be reading a book or you took a vacation. But fundamentally when you rest you also have to be allowing yourself to to not think about 
what you should be doing or not scolding yourself for, you know, or not saying, well, I'm going to rest for an hour and then I'm going to go back to, I'm just going to go back to like yeah. the, the hamster wheel. And I think that that isn't intuitive for most people because that's not, that's not what, what's been modeled for us. It's not, that's not what we've been told makes us um, a good person. It's always about, you know, uh, ultimate morning routines to make you as productive yeah. as possible and all that kind of stuff. So that rest really led me, um, you know, and Heather, this is something that I love that you talk about so much about my creativity and how to tap into where I was creative and how that um, brought out pieces of myself that I just hadn't had the energy really honestly to explore while I was working and so sick and not like I just didn't have the bandwidth and through that process where I really allowed myself to rest and I really allowed myself to think creatively about I mean about lots of things in life but also about where where can I put something that feels um that feels great out into the world, I saw that my journey was absolutely a journey that other people go on and that meeting other great entrepreneurs, I often heard this idea around sales being something that was really scary. You know, I'd hear that same thing that I used to hear at like cocktail parties for people who would say, oh, I could never do what you do. And I would just be like, oh, but I do know how to do it. And I thought, well, I would love to be able to help uh, entrepreneurs be able to better see how they could both manage their health and be really present um, in putting their magic out into the world, which includes selling. Yeah, it's, it's, it's still like almost discombobulates my brain to think of like healthy sales. So like, how do I reframe my attitude towards sales to make it a healthy experience for me? So I've really thought about this a lot and I've, you know, I've identified, you know, as a kid, I loved commercials. You know, people always say they hate commercials now. I loved commercials. I love the idea of thinking about, uh, you know, what was enticing me to that. And I think that part of the reason that people hate sales is because we're constantly being sold to, right? Like you're in your car and there's a billboard, you're um, on social media, there's all these targeted ads, you go to another website, that same targeted ad is now following you. Um, and I think people hate the way that feels. Yeah, it's kind of like, here's another person who pretends to be interested in me really has zero interest in me and just wants money to go from my bank account to theirs. Exactly. And, you know, regardless of sort of how you feel about like capitalism or like, you know, mm -hmm. people having lots of money or any of those kind of pieces, like we all know the reality is we need money to live. That is how things are set up. So, you know, we, it is, you have this push pull where, you know, you're constantly being told that you need more and, and then you feel this like piece around money and, and it feels gross. And so I think that that is what happens when you're trying to sell your own stuff, right? Is you think about how you feel when somebody else is selling to you. Yeah. You think, oh God, well, I don't want to make anybody feel that way. That's terrible. Yeah. And you know, like, I think like just stepping back for a minute, like, and we'll continue this, but like when we're talking about sales, like, there's lots of people who listen to that there this that are in careers or maybe retired even or not not you know not in a remunerative uh paying yeah thing but right like a lot of our life is is about sales like asking for a promotion asking for uh a raise asking for a date um it, you know a lot of it is really about selling selling something to somebody else that that wants it so you can have an experience together and all of those things it can become really awkward for us um because we think of it as this zero sum game where either i win or you win 
I win and you lose or you win and I lose and we're not both better off. Yes. Yes. I totally agree with that. And that is something also that I don't know if people see that, that, you know, even in your interpersonal relationships, even with like your family or your friends, you know, you often have to sell an idea to them. And I think that people often think that sales is manipulation and it doesn't have to be. (laughs) And I think that's the piece that people, um, you know, to help get more comfortable with that is what is most important. You know, um, a few years ago, um, we needed a new car, my partner and I, and Mm -hmm. we were kind of in a funny situation where um, we had a car that somebody had given to us and it was a great car, but it was standard. And I tried to drive it and I tried to learn. I tried a bunch of different times and I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. It just caused me so much anxiety to even get into the car uh, that I just couldn't drive it. Right. And now we had a car. So we had one car for two people. And I, you know, I live in a big city. So, you know, we had auto share and stuff like that here. So it's not that I could never get a ride somewhere. But I started to realize that I was always sort of stacking up the price of going somewhere because I couldn't drive a car. So, right. You know, I need to go in and I finally said to my partner, I said, listen, I know we have a perfectly good car, but I just can't drive it. And there are only two people and 50% of the household can't use this resource. We need, <laughs> we, we need a new car. And, you know, uh, he was open to the conversation, uh, but he, he didn't really want to buy a new car. And, um, you know, so we just had to talk about it. And this wasn't me trying to like wear him down until he said, yes, this was me saying, well, here are all the reasons why um, a car that we can both drive would be of value (laughs) to both of us, you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, and, and here's how we can afford it. And, you know, here's what this could look like. And here's how this could be a better situation. You know, for instance, we got a new car and uh, it's a better fit for our lifestyle than that other car. Forget forget that I can drive this one. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, we had to have those conversations. And this wasn't about manipulation. This was about us both talking about our values and how we could meet in the middle. So when sales becomes about a conversation, how does that relate to health? Well, it released your health in a lot of ways. I mean, not having a car at times for me felt very um, limiting. It actually made me feel um, sometimes like I was trapped a little bit because there'd be things that I needed to do. And then suddenly there was this, you know, more difficult set of circumstances that I was going to have to navigate. Um in order to do what I needed to do. And it actually right. started, it, it actually started making me choose not to do things that I normally would have done. Cool. And- so, so like, like the way you're framing sales is it's actually healthy sales are partly a willingness to speak up and have conversations about what you need when you're entering into a human exchange. Absolutely. Right. It's so funny that we find that so difficult, but that's really what all mental and physical health comes down to in my view anyway, like the ability to um, ask for what we need and take constructive action towards it, not in a selfish way, but just in a self-affirming way. Absolutely. And that is the truth when you have these conversations in particular in your personal life, or as you said, like asking somebody out on a date or, you know, that kind of salary negotiation. I mean, those are all things where I, I feel like there's this idea that there's like, a there are mechanics to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you go, you, you'll go to like a, a one hour sales workshop where they'll like say these six steps to making the perfect sale and whatever. And that's that's just not what it is. You're a human being and you're talking to one or many other human beings and 
you're talking about um, what your needs are and, and what their needs are. Yeah. So I think the issue is sales has become very divorced from human interconnection. And you're right. There is so much kind of formulaic advice in the entrepreneurial world. But also, I think even if you're on LinkedIn looking at articles about how to ask for a raise and stuff like that, there there's a lot of kind of like rote advice that isn't consistent with, hey, have a real conversation. <laughs> well, and it leaves it out to me, it always leaves out the critical integral component which has to do with the interpersonal dynamics that exist between you and the other person yeah and that that is the make or break of almost any conversation so you, know, you can give me six tips all you want but you don't know anything about the person i'm talking to or the previous experiences we have together yeah exactly like if I'm if I'm looking to ask for a raise, it really helps if I understand what pressures my boss is facing, what his budget limits are, what would make him look good, what what the context is for what he wants, and what skill, you know, what I think I actually bring to the organization. Like there's a lot of personal dynamics in there. And if I was in that position, I was just following some formula, I would think the chance of succeeding is very small <laughs> and it and it also um like it also it, it doesn't work unless you can, unless you can like plug it into yourself right if it isn't coming from inside inside of you people don't resonate with that you know yeah. at the, end of the day there's also a piece around um authenticity and i know that that's sort of thrown around a lot but you know you can't just show up to something and 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 say a set of lines and see an outcome. You know, it's <laughs> like a there's like a a give and take that is real in real life between real humans, and about a level of respect as well between those people talking to each other. And I think that often not only is it sort of this this in, like taking of the interpersonal dynamics, but I also think it also often pits people against one another, where like it's the way they talk about the sales process or a negotiation process often is sort of like you're going to war. Like, like yeah, exactly. You know, like move, counter move. And I'm like, well, no. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did this, you know, when I first became an entre entrepreneur, I really had no idea how to sell. I took this ridiculous course. I'm not going to name any names, but <laughs> like <laughs> we had to practice, like he had, he had like all these different kinds that he'd like classified all kinds of different situations. Like if a person says something in this category, these are the things he said. And then he had this like kind of speed test where people would volunteer and he'd pretend to be, you know, a jerky client that doesn't want to buy the services that you're convincing to buy the services. And then you had to remember like as fast as you could off the top of the head, which of the rote sentences that you should say. And everybody's saying, this is so good. And I kept thinking like, you know, Jim, this, this, I'm just, as I'm hearing these responses, I'm just thinking you're a big asshole. Like, well, I mean, first of, all, first of all, if you, if you're, if you go into a sales process and you think the other person's a jerk, like you're, yeah. already, you're already starting off in a wrong place, first of all. Yeah. Well, that was definitely the impression I got at the end of it all was he would say at the end of it now see how that was so subtle and you got to yes and I was thinking no no if I was on the other end of that I'd just be think you're a jerk and I don't want to ever work with you <laughs> exactly and so you know I also think that this idea I hear so much about this training that they give entrepreneurs where they talk about um replying to objections yeah I hate that use of the word objections yeah. People are asking you questions. Yeah. I'm objecting to something. Like, <laughs> like, it's as it's if you're question. objecting to something that you you should be saying yes to. Like if you go into a grocery store and the price of bananas isn't posted, and so you <laughs> ask somebody what the price of bananas is, is that an objection? You need to yeah. convince them to buy it. No, just tell them the price. Like it's not yeah. you're, you're get putting people in this mindset where um they think they need to convince. Yeah. And 
you know, if somebody real, you know, somebody needs to be convinced really hard, they're probably not ready to do the work you're selling anyways. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so interesting. Like I, I think this con- conversation is so useful for entrepreneurs and people trying to sell like that. But I also think it's just useful for everybody who's ever even thought about asking for a raise or getting more money or, you know, has an interview for a job trying to sell yourself. Like it's just getting that level of comfort with the conversation and seeing the person across the table as a real human being and knowing that you guys have something valuable to exchange. Um, Whether you're on the selling side or the person who's buying it, you both are getting value from the transaction. And if you can find the mutual value in that, it's, it's going to be a comfortable conversation and it's not going to stress your, your nervous system so much that you avoid ever having a, another conversation similar to that, which is what happens to all of those who are afraid of either selling a product, selling a service, or just selling, selling ourselves, you know, in a more traditional career. Absolutely. And I mean, I even think that, you know, when we go back to those examples, you know, say with your family or whatnot, talking about what your needs are, it is also an act of, um, you know, we talk about that being an act of sales as well. Like that is the same thing. Like when you allow yourself to relax into having a shared human conversation about something, something that you like, something that you want to buy, whatever that looks like, um, you just see that as an extension of all the other things in your business or within your family life as opposed to seeing this like very serious conversation that is very structured, you know, and is sort of outside of the rest of the experience that either a client might have, or you might have in terms of the relationship with family members. It's, it's all a part of it. Right. So if, if you were looking at your whole journey and what you've learned about sales, like, you can randomly pick any response you want to this, but what do you think the most valuable one or two things are that you could share with the listeners here? Well, um, the top thing I would say is that sales isn't dirty. It's about connection. Mm -hmm. And if you continue to think about sales as connection, I think that already will start to feel better in your body. And I don't, I'm not just putting new words on, like, I'm not just slapping a new, you know, a new, a new color on a wall. I'm talking about thinking about sales in a completely different mindset. Mm. And I would also say that we, we know this, but I, I think we push it away a lot, which is no job is worth your health. And mm. you only get so much, you only get so much time. And I spent so many years where I basically in my, in my personal life outside of the time I was working, just trying to be well enough to work. Mm. And that, I don't think I'm alone in that. I think a lot of people live their lives that way. And I, I, we all need to make money to live. I understand that piece of it, but you need to examine whether, um, feeling like this and not really being able to show up in your personal life is, is the best way to move forward. And this isn't mm. me telling you about your job or any of that, but your health really is the foundation of not just your quality of life, but literally your ability to engage in your life. And um, there are things that you can do to make it better. Um but you need to be designing your life around that ability to engage with it as opposed to designing your life around, um, you know, how can I, how can I feel well enough to get to the office every day? Oh, that is such a, so wise and such a great way to end this one thing before we sign off. Um, how do people find you? Well, uh, I'm, uh, I'm on Instagram at uh, sarah.hurl. Uh, my uh, website is sarahhurl.com. Uh, find me Sarah Hurl on Facebook. I don't have a group yet, but I'm working on it. 
So uh, feel free to follow me or connect with me uh, on my website. Uh, I, I am doing discovery calls right now and I have a few programs um, for working with people. So I'm open to those human connections. Yay, that, that's so good. So um, I'm going to put in the show notes to this episode, which you can either look down on whatever podcast platform you're on and see it below that entry, or you can go onto my website at www.gracedcanvas, G-R-A-C-E-D as in dog, C-A-N-V-A-S.com uh, slash podcast. And uh, this episode, if you're listening to this, it means it's up there. Just scroll down to the bottom of the episode and you can see the show notes and I'll have uh, Sarah's contact information for you there so you know how to spell everything and you can <laughs> find her because I really wanted to have Sarah on today because I do think that this is one of those really unique and creative combination that is uh, this offering, uh, this marrying of sales and health is is very much needed, but is a creative combination that comes from Sarah's willingness to explore her journey and be open and take the time she needed to rest and kind of like absorb what was happening and read and find her own unique observations. I think that's what life is really about. It's finding our own unique trajectory, which comes from not a linear planned career path, but just from that attitude of openness and exploration that I think you exemplify here today, Sarah. So I think there's a lot of wisdom and I want to thank you so much for your time today. This was great, Heather. Thanks for having me. Okay. Awesome. So if you're energized by the possibilities you're hearing about on this podcast, but you're wondering how it's possible to actually make what you've been fantasizing about doing actually happen, I'd love you to join me for a free strategy session where we'll talk about coaching together. We'll explore how you can start making what you want possible by taking small, easy steps that add up to something amazing. Just click on the link in the show notes below this episode to book your free call. I'd love to meet you live. And all my listeners, remember, it's finally your time to do what you want. <laughs>